Resurrection is at the very core of Christian theology and thinking. The whole movement really gains traction when Jesus rises from the dead. But resurrection has never been that easy to believe. I don't know how you find it, but um, people do not willy-nilly accept that, for example, Jesus is risen. It wasn't until certain evidence became available that the first believers believed it. And even though we might believe that, what about resurrection for everyone else? Because Jesus said a lot about eternal life, and this has been understood in a whole range of ways. How do we understand resurrection and the life after death? At the time when Jesus was teaching, resurrection wasn't a very well-developed idea. And uh, like many things, it was hotly contended. It seemed to originally come from ancient Egypt. They seemed to be the first people that came up with the idea of a life after death. And the god Osiris, who had quite an extensive portfolio in his godness, uh, looked after those who had life after death. He was a king of the life after death, and scholars speculate about his function and the function of this idea and suggest that it might have been used as a control mechanism in Egyptian society because it's easy to understand how concern about what happens after you die can be used to manipulate people while they're alive. And uh, this claim or accusation has been made against the use of the Christian idea of life after death as well. But I would suggest that's to fundamentally misunderstand what the Christian idea of resurrection is all about. In Hebrew thinking, uh, nothing so strong was there. I mean, it's notable that uh, Jacob's family spent a generation or so in Egypt and the people of Israel uh, sojourned in Egypt at different times and were involved with the Egyptians over the course of their life. But there's nothing very, very clear in all of Scripture, in the Hebrew Scripture, about resurrection or the life after the after death. Um, The prophet Elijah raises somebody and the prophet Elisha raises somebody and indeed somebody was thrown into Elijah's grave and touched one of Elijah's bones and it was a dead body and they were awoken again. So there's these moments of resuscitation but we don't really see them as resurrection because the Christian idea of resurrection is coming alive again never to die again. Whether These people came alive and presumably died again. And we can see hints of something like resurrection in the prophet, say, for example, Ezekiel and the the valley of the dry bones and how all the sinews came back together and this great army was risen up. But that seems to suggest uh, the idea that Israel as a nation would be reborn and come alive again rather than anything more specific about resurrection. And as you can Here in the the text that James read for us, the rabbis were not settled on this matter. Most theological ideas amongst the Jews were hotly contested. Uh, Israel, as a name, means to to wrestle or to struggle, and uh, people have always struggled in Judaism in terms of the interpretation of texts and so forth. And there's that old joke, I think I've shared it, about the two rabbis that have been arguing about a particular text throughout their whole life, basically, to and fro, to and fro, and God's been listening, and at the end, 
uh, of the day, God's so frustrated with these two. They've been arguing for years and he just rends the heavens, comes down and says, look, you guys, this is what the text means. And they look at each other and go, who the hell is he to come down here and tell us? <laughs> so it's not uncommon for, for ideas to be contested in Judaism and so forth. But we can see here that the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection at all. And uh, we can... We can understand why it would be hard for them to accept them, to accept that. Many rejected the idea. And even for those for whom it was becoming an important idea, there was not much flesh around the bones of this idea. And it makes sense, right? We don't know much about this in detail because there's so few examples to look at and to know about. Um, there's really only one, and that may well be unique and we're not sure how to read that in terms of our own resurrection. But what do we know? What can we say with some degree of certainty? Well, it seems like the person will continue in the resurrection. There's some continuity with this. Otherwise it would be incomprehensible and utterly meaningless for us. Uh, it's not just like, you know, in The Lion King, the, the great circle of life, Thing where the, 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 the deer eats the grass and then the lion eats the deer and then the lion eventually dies and becomes a fertiliser for the grass and things just keep going. It's not like that. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not just repurposing of anonymous physical carbon from our bodies to create something else somewhere else. This is an, there's an individual personness that continues. And this idea made me think about my dad who died five and a half years ago. And uh, I miss him, but I'm also more and more aware of the way that he continues to be with me. And most especially, I'm aware of how he, is, how he was as a father towards me and how that impacts my fathering, as it were, in all sorts of ways. Uh, my dad was an extraordinarily generous man to my brother and my sisters and I. And um, I see that coming out in the way I father my girls. I know everyone does the fathering or the parenting thing differently. And we're formed by the examples that we've seen. And in a funny kind of way, I can see this being alive in me is my father being alive in me. There's a real sense that he continues to live on in an embodied way in the way that I live. And this is an echo, I would suggest, just an echo, a suggestion, a hint about resurrection. At the same time that there is continuity, there will also be discontinuity. And part of the issue here is that we can't yet imagine the fullness of what resurrection might possibly mean. It's quite simply beyond all the categories with which we are currently familiar. Yet, as with my father being alive in me, there's some hints that we should also pick up about uh, from our experience of life now that we can read into resurrection. For example, uh, my family and I went to Taipei recently and uh, we went to see the birth mother of my eldest daughter, way. And I knew what life was like for our family up until that point, and I was getting increasingly nervous about what would happen as a result of that little visit. 
we knew things would change in significant ways, both for Wei and for all of us. But we didn't know how they would change. We couldn't quite anticipate all the variables and there were things that we could never even possibly have thought about that might happen. But we were willing to hold lightly, in a sense, to what we were accustomed to in the hope that we would discover something better as a result of this experience. That was a kind of death and resurrection in a funny, funny kind of way. We were letting go of something that was familiar in the hope of taking hold of something that we didn't yet know, but we hoped would be better, would be a more fuller embrace of life. And in a funny kind of way, I mean, Wei's birth mother existed before we met with her. What was happening was we were engaging more fully in the reality that already existed. And somehow that was expanding the way we engaged in life. And we're grateful that that has gone well so far. And who knows what tomorrow will bring, right? So we, we engaged in reality in a more fulsome manner, manner holding lightly to the life that we know so as to embrace something that is beyond what we currently know. And you see, continuity and discontinuity, this is an echo of the resurrection. One thing we can know with confidence is the resurrection won't just be more of the same. It won't be just like now, as it were. Jesus indicates there will be uh, a, a difference much like the angels are different to human beings. And you might say, well, thanks a lot for that, Jesus. That doesn't really tell us a great deal more either because what are angels? <laughs> Again, they're beyond our category of understanding. We kind of, sometimes they turn up much like human beings and get mistaken for human beings and yet they're these mysterious messengers from God who can, do they have wings or not have wings? Are they big? Are they small? Do they have magical powers? We, we kind of don't know, but... So they're, they're not it's not just like now. There's categories beyond what we can possibly understand. Paul says it like this. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. And it's, it's interesting to consider mirror technology down through the ages. And um, at the time when Paul was writing... The Romans had discovered quite a neat, uh, fairly inexpensive way of making mirrors where I think they uh, poured molten lead over glass that had been recently blown and it created a mirror. But uh, you always had good mirrors and bad mirrors and some were really bright, clear mirrors and others were, were dud mirrors that you could just make out roughly what was going on. And Paul's saying, currently we see a bit like you're looking into a dud mirror. And all you, can, you can see the kind of contours of it, but the detail you can't see yet. We just can't see it yet, but we will. Jesus employs a very interesting argument in his conversation with the Sadducees. He says, when Moses turned up with the burning bush and God was named as the, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God's the God of the living, right? So Abraham, Isaac and Jacob must have still been living, even though they died many years before. It's an interesting kind of 
frame of thinking, isn't it? It doesn't tell you that much more about resurrection except that somehow there is this ongoing life. And we generally think about resurrection as the doorway into eternal life, uh, where we come alive again, never to die again. But it can't simply be about the disillusion of time, can it? The start of an existence that never ends, because that could be just as much hell as it could be heaven. It's got to be about the content of that life and the, the, the nature of it. What, it, what life will be composed of, those things that stand in all eternity, things that continue to bring life in an ongoing way, no matter where we are or who we touch. Things like, and you know them, things like hope, things like love, things like forgiveness and mercy and grace and true justice and compassion. These are the contours and the content of eternal life. Aspects of eternity that, of course, we can touch and lean into and live even now. Realities that will not die or even fade away with the passing of time. In a funny kind of way, participating in eternal life is much like participating in the life of Jesus. That means as we follow the way of Christ and treat others the way that Jesus treated other people, we live a life that is increasingly shaped by eternity. We live into the Jesus story. Jesus comes alive in our life story because we are the body of Christ. And we embody the living Christ here and now in the way we love, in the way we hope, in the way we show mercy and compassion and stand for true justice and embody forgiveness and grace. I think there's a fair argument that you can say resurrection is what has shaped and empowered the last two millennia of the Christian West and our society's development. Uh, and while our forebears didn't get everything perfectly, uh, developments in education and justice and healthcare and even technology, I would say, have, um, I think, obviously shaped the way we have developed as a people and as history has, has been shaped. And these things are fueled by the idea of the resurrection. Because a society that does not care about the future, what's going to happen well beyond us, that society starts to crumble and turn in on itself. And in fact, I would say to you, watch what happens as the notion of resurrection evaporates from our public consciousness and our, even our private consciousness. I think you'll see the corrosive impact of ever-shortening consequence horizons, as it were. People um, don't live towards something so far in advance. They start to live for right now in a way that can be quite corrosive. In fact, many have already find it hard to think about what we are bequeathing to the next generation, let alone the generation after that, with our planet and so forth. So resurrection 
is a very key idea. We don't know much about it, but it has fueled and shaped so much of the way we understand life and what life is about. And even though we know so few details, it has always been central to Christian faith. And St Paul goes so far as to say, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because if there is no resurrection, what's it all about? Resurrection is not something that we wait to discover in the future. It is operable now. We taste its nature now. We experience its power now. It is the hope of resurrection that empowers us to break free from crowd contagion or to go beyond the restrictive borders of our deepest fears, to go wherever the call of Christ bids us. It is the power of the resurrection that means our lives lived leaning into eternity will shape the generations we are forming now by our example and by our convictions. Christians are resurrection people. Christ is risen and so are we. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that even though there is so much to this idea that we can't possibly yet understand, we get hints and clues and you call us forth into it and it becomes an ever-deepening reality in our lives. Help us to be people of the resurrection, of your resurrection, that we might live for a life beyond the life we currently know and bring life to others in a way that will never end to the glory of your name. Amen.